There's an old story in, in the Bible about a man named Elijah. It was the worst day of his life. Uh, he's being hunted down um, for serving the Lord. And he just has it out with God. He says, God, I'm the only one. I'm, uh, I've served you. I've followed you. And like it's led to this. And I'm, I'm just done. I want it to be done. And in the middle of this conversation, God comes to him in some powerful ways. But essentially, God says, you need to open your eyes. You're just looking at yourself. You're just looking at what's going on in, in your world. You need to look at my world. Open your eyes. I'm not limited by your limits. I'm at work in places you, you don't even know about. You aren't the only one. There's 7,000 other leaders in this land who haven't bowed to any other God and they're serving me. We're together. I've got you. Have you ever felt like Elijah? Like, God, I, I'm done. I'm so tired of this. I followed you. This is so hard. This is too hard. And, and God has this way of, of loving us, but challenging us to open our eyes. And I want to talk about how God has done that through the ages in the church. And we're going to look at, um, at a biblical character in the early church, a leader who really helped the church to open their eyes to see what God was doing. We're going to be looking at this story that teaches the church the practices of reflection and rejoicing. Now, reflection and rejoicing is, is simply this. It's having eyes to see and lips to tell what God is doing in the world. It's one of the most essential practices, um, habits of faith that were given to the church that was facing challenging times. And um, we want to learn how can we be a church like the ancient church that was able to be a light in the darkness, able to have joy in the midst of chaos and challenge. Um, and so let's jump in to this story. And uh, as we're forming our home churches, um, these are just groups of people circling up that you feel comfortable with. Um, set in regular time and just showing up together. Uh, this is how we can gather and grow. I just want to encourage you to, uh, you can grab your Bible. Um, you can turn to Acts chapter 11, and uh, we're going to start digging in together. Now, to set this up, uh, early in the book of Acts, a man named Stephen um, begins following the Lord, and he um, he ends up um, preaching to a bunch of religious leaders, and they murder him for it. And what he teaches is simply this, that God has been at work outside of your religious settings, outside of your boxes, outside of your temple. Uh, God sent his, his son Jesus as the Savior of the world to die for the world, and you put him on the cross. And he says, God was at work there and you didn't see it. God is, he's at work beyond your limits. God isn't limited by your limits. And he's at work out in the world. And you didn't see Jesus and you don't see this, the empowering presence, the spirit of Jesus at work in the world. So in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19, now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen uh, went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the message to no one but the, the Jews. And so uh, in, the, in the story, we're seeing that there's a scattering of the church. There's a challenge that hits the church through persecution. After Stephen is murdered, he's stoned to death, um, the church is scattered. And God actually uh, uses this really horrible thing. He turns it to good as the church is scattered throughout the Roman Empire. 
um, he begins um, moving the gospel forward. And we're in a time where we can't gather like we normally do. And, and you know, God's going to use that. I, I wish we could gather like normal, but we, we can't. Uh, it's just not um, the norm for us in this season with COVID-19. But the scattered church, God, just like he used it to spread the gospel here, can use that to spread the gospel and to shape us in the people he wants us to be, even during this time. Verse 20, but there was some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too. So not just uh, teaching the gospel to Jewish people and to people from their own culture, but also people from uh, the Greco-Roman world, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A report about them came to the attention of the church back in Jerusalem that's more uh, Jewish-oriented, that these new Greek believers in Antioch have turned to the Lord. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And Barnabas is a character we learn about early in the book of Acts. He was known, he was actually nicknamed Barnabas, which means the encourager. Um, And he is an incredible leader in the church. Let's hone in on verse 23. When he goes to Antioch, he came and saw the grace of God. He rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Now, because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, isn't that a cool statement? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. I would hope that um, the legacy I can leave is being someone who was led by and filled by the Spirit. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean that you're perfect. But ones who are following God are filled with the Spirit and of faith, it says. And a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. There's this incredible moment. All these Greeks begin finding Jesus and following Jesus. And, and uh, Barnabas is sent by the leaders, by the church, to, to see what's going on. And uh, in Acts eleven twenty three, 23, this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, it's this simple uh, verse, but it says, when he came, underline this, he saw the grace of God and he rejoiced. He was glad. Maybe that's your translation. Um, to practice spiritual reflection and rejoicing, we have to be able to see grace and have gratitude. We have to become grace finders. We have to discover real grace in our lives. So that begs the question, what is grace? So what is grace? Grace is this big concept for, you know, many theologians and sometimes for people it can also become like this kind of shrunken idea. And and really grace is a reality. And I, I love um, what Dallas Willard uh, describes grace as. He says this, Grace is God acting in our life to bring about and to enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. It's God choosing to to work in and through you to do what you can't do on your own. And then he goes on to say, but grace is for the whole of life and not just forgiveness. Grace isn't just forgiveness. Barnabas wasn't just looking for forgiveness. Grace is so much bigger than that. It is forgiveness, but it's much more. Grace is not opposed to effort which is action, though it is opposed to earning, which is an attitude. So important to remember. And so in this passage, Barnabas saw the grace of God. His eyes were open. He was practicing the spiritual reflection, which led to rejoicing, which led to gratitude. 
Now, uh, grace, I, I, we can break it down into these three terms. It's so, it's so big and massive, but uh, I think this is important. There's saving grace, which is God's power to save us. Like, I can't save myself. I can't, you know, free myself from the things that enslave me. And I, I need God to save me. And common grace is God's goodness given to everyone everywhere. That's God. God's love is indiscriminate. You know, his, his love is like rain that falls on the good and the bad. Whether you love God or you hate God or you don't even know what you think about him, God has given us um, common grace like air. We're all breathing air. It's keeping us alive. We all uh, drink water and keep us healthy. We all live in, you know, towns that have roads that have been built. This is common grace that we can all share, gifts of God. It's just God's gifts for everyone, everywhere. And then uh, empowering grace is God's active power to enable His purposes in people for good. God wants to work in you and through you, and He enables that. Um, when you maybe don't feel capable, He gives you the capacity. Um, when you don't maybe feel like you have the vision for something, He can bring the vision into your life. And God often does that through people. Um, often we become um, conduits of grace, and, and God enables us to choose to love him and choose to love others. That's an enabling, empowering grace of God. Like if any of you guys have ever, you know, had a had a baby, uh, you're like, well, I don't feel like I'm ready or I'm going to know how to do this. God's grace is the people and the situations he brings in to empower you to be a father or mother. Empowering grace, the spiritual reality of grace, and then the theological conversations on grace is, is really rich and it's really good. I want to invite you, if you like talking about spiritual things and have spiritual questions and like to, you know, dig deeper, we have, um, we have a gathering called Spiritual Questions on, on Facebook Live. Join us this week for that. Now, grace grows when we focus on it, when we cultivate it. Like Barnabas was like a grace cultivator. He would see it and then he would rejoice in it and he would encourage it. He wanted to see this grow in people. He wanted to see God's uh, love, his spirit and his activity grow in places and in people. So grace finding happens through spiritual reflection. And the interesting, interesting thing about spiritual reflection is it, it, it often actually doesn't start with yourself. It starts with looking outside yourself. Think again to Elijah. He's just dejected. He's disappointed. He just wants to give up. And he's, he's thinking about himself, thinking about himself. But, but, but God says, look beyond your limitations. I'm at work out here. And often when we start looking beyond ourselves and the things we're worried about and, you know, our state of being, when we look to what God's doing out there, then all of a sudden we can actually see our own blind spots and our, you know, our sadness and our hurt. We, we see it in a new context because spiritual reflection is really new spiritual perspective. It brings new perspective to us. And um, I have a friend, Lowell Bakke, he says it this way, it's not about me, it's about my goodness, he said, what God is doing. It's about what God is doing. And when we can like look beyond that and out to that, that God could be even working in the hardest situations in our lives and he will turn them to good, 
um, it it changes us. It it changes like when we see the grace, we all of a sudden uh, we we see new possibilities, we see new vision, we have new capacity. It changes how we think, how we feel, what we do, how we relate to other people, even in the hardest situations. And when we discover grace, we discover gratitude, and gratitude is transformative, friends. This is what brings joy and peace in our life, which isn't just a feeling. It's like a presence. It's a reality. And you have to choose to see grace in your life. You can focus on all the negative, all the bad. We live in a world where all the news outlets and, you know, uh, people make a lot of money on focusing on what's negative, what's wrong, what isn't good and tearing other people down. But Barnabas, the grace finder, didn't look for what was wrong. He looked for what was right. What was God doing in Antioch? When we discover grace, we discover gratitude. Again, in verse 23, it says, when he came and saw the grace of God, had his eyes open for that, he rejoiced. Uh, gratitude is that rejoicing. Um, psychologists, so, sociologists have noted the power of gratitude. You know, gratitude journals or thankful uh, journals that people have. Just being thankful for the things that we have is, is a really important thing. But on a Christian, on a, on, a, on a level for a person of faith, gratitude is much deeper than even that. Like, that will help you and it will be so good for you. But I, I want to tell you, when you have gratitude for grace in your life, and you can connect it to the grace giver, like it radically changes everything. All of a sudden you realize, hey, God's in control. God's got this. There's a purpose behind this. What is God doing and how can I get in on what, is, what God is doing despite my circumstances? And sometimes within your circumstances, God is wanting to do something more powerful in your weakness than in your strength. Can I get an amen? And I just wanna encourage you, maybe for a moment, just stop this video and ask the question, where is the grace of God at work in my life? Even maybe in and especially in your weaknesses. My friend Lowell, he, he's, he said it like this. Right now, people assume God can't be at work in the darkest places, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of um, all the global problems that we're having. He's like, but that's right where God is at work. God's grace is right there. His presence is at work. He's like, the question is, are you looking for it? Have you trained your eyes? Can you see it? The best example of this is God sending his son into a broken world with broken systems, with broken people who ended up putting Jesus on a cross because of their brokenness. And God was at work in that. He was sending his best into that to redeem and work it. Can we see it? Remember, Stephen made all those Pharisees so angry when he said, you crucified the king of glory and you didn't even know it. You couldn't see that the grace of God was in your midst. Stephen, when he was sharing this sermon, this teaching that, man, God is not limited by your limits. He's at work outside of your temples. In fact, Jesus was sent by him and you killed him. You put him on a cross. Uh, uh, there was a man named Saul there. And when they murdered Stephen... He approved of it by holding the coats of the men stoning Stephen, and he was in agreement with the murder of Stephen. Eventually, God transformed Saul, transformed his world, so much so that he went from someone who couldn't see the grace of God in someone like Stephen. He was an offense. He was sinful to, to, to Saul. 
And he was transformed into realizing, oh man, I was totally wrong. God was at work in Stephen. God was at work in Christ. And God is at work in this world. Can you see the grace of God? If you don't see the grace of God, you're going to fight it. You're going to resist him. If you see the grace of God, you can be glad, you can rejoice in it, and you can rejoice in anyone. Like God can use sinners and people who don't know him. He can use common grace. He can use things that we would never, ever think, and we can learn to be grateful and rejoice in it. I want to define for you what spiritual reflection and rejoicing is. Uh, There's a great quote from Adele Calhoun. Um, She says this, The examine reflection is a prayer practice for discerning the voice and activity of God within the flow of every day. And um, if I could really nail it down with reflection, it really is spiritual perception. It's being able to have an ongoing prayerful way of seeing and knowing, hearing what God is doing in your lives daily. And then the rejoicing, um, spiritual rejoicing, isn't just uh, personal joy welling up. It is that, but it's more. It's also like communal and public uh, celebration of the grace of God. And so I want to give you a simple practice that you can do daily. You can do this in the morning or in the evenings. Um, You can do this on your own. You can also do this in community. So the first step is reflect on the presence of God. Now, we're always in the presence of God, but in prayer, we kind of place ourselves and hold ourselves with God, where we bring an awareness to that. Um, and, and we can ask God, help me be aware of you in my life and out in the world around me. And, and then it's really important in this uh, stage to just ask for help from the Holy Spirit. Would you help me to see your activity in the world? And just start, you know, praying about that and asking God. Spend a few minutes just becoming aware of the presence and spirit of God. The second step is to take some time to reflect on your day with grace. And that's kind of double meaning, like be gracious with yourself and reflect on the grace that you see. And uh, so don't try to fix everything at this stage. Don't try to examine, you know, this, uh, you know, how all your motives have been and, uh, you know, and, and judge yourself. This isn't a time of judgment. This is a observance and looking at the grace of God and just kind of going through your day and be honest. Like when we look for grace, it's not saying you don't see the bad, you don't see the negative. You actually are, you're, you're looking at all of that and you're looking for the good and the bad and you're looking for what is life-giving? Where's the life-giving grace and presence of God in this? Now, this is one of the longest of the steps because review, review your day or the day before, however you set this practice up, and just think, you know, how did the morning go? How did, you know, how did the pancakes taste? And, you know, how did the, this thing go? And, and you might start thinking of things that you wish you'd done different um, that maybe, oh, man, if I could do that over. You know, again, don't judge yourself, but just walk through that and, and start to become more aware. What were your emotions during that time? What were you thinking during that time? What are your motivations? And what were your observations of what was going on around you? Are you seeing any themes or patterns? What is God saying to you through that? Step three is, you know, really reflect on your day with gratitude. Now that you've kind of taken time to, to look slowly over your day, not judging it, but just looking at the grace, looking at your life with grace, um, You begin thanking God for those graces and those gifts, even the tough things, 
even the challenging things. Um, make sure to like savor things. Look at the special moments, the special graces God has given. Maybe it's a good night's sleep or the smell of your coffee in your hand or a conversation you had with a friend. Um, maybe just moments that you were able to just kind of witness beauty, you know, a sunset, a, a sunrise, um, whatever it might be, you know. Uh, for me, I love hearing my kids laugh. And so like, I, I try to when I'm thinking about the grace of God, remembering those, are, my kids are grace that he's given me. Like how wonderful that that is. And I have more time with my kids than ever before in this weird world of COVID-19 we're living in. Um, be grateful for the grace of God in, in this phase. Now, after reflecting uh, through those three phases, I would encourage you to move to rejoicing with your community. Um, rejoicing with your family, sharing with somebody and maybe a, a few family members um, where you're seeing God's grace and what you're grateful for. It, it's just transformative. Maybe you're right, you've written down those things like a prayer journal, grace journal is really helpful. And, um, and then maybe with your home church, your, your faith family, I think it's important every time you get together is to, to share where are we seeing the grace of God and what am I grateful for? And you can talk about the challenging things, be truthful. But when you start hearing what where God's at work in other people's lives, it's like, it's encouraging. I love that. Remember in verse 23, um, Barnabas saw the grace of God, rejoiced in it, and encouraged the brothers and sisters in the Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel like Elijah did, where it's like, I'm done. I don't want to move forward. Uh, this is too hard. And I need others in my life. I need my spiritual family to say, open your eyes and look at what God's doing. And so right now, where you're at, we're gonna be singing a song, worshiping together about the goodness of God. And I wanna encourage you, practice uh, reflecting on the grace of God and rejoicing together afterward. But let's sing right now. 